0: Choke points. Let's go. It turns out that all lanes are not created equal. We have something called Fabulanes, which uh, usually is for fabulous, but actually, this is an acronym, and Chris is going to explain it.
1: Yes. FAB, F A B, is a freight and bus lane, not to be confused with a freight. And Transit Lane. Which would be FAT. Yeah, you can see how the acronym would work out there. Think South Lake Union Trolley. So we don't want to go there. So we're (laughs) going with FAB. It's a lane that commercial trucks and buses can share to improve the overall flow of
2: traffic. It may be better to say that uh, a FAB lane is a transit lane that large trucks are allowed to get into.
1: Chris Eaves is the freight program lead for the Seattle Department of Transportation. His group plans to create a FAB lane on West Lake Avenue along the west side of Lake. Union, though he admits he's not even sure if this is a good idea.
2: We're not 100% sure what we're going to get out of this. It's quite
1: honest. Eve says there isn't a lot of data on whether these lanes work, and that's why this fab lane is an experiment, a one-year pilot project to see what happens.
2: Actual implementation is pretty thin on the ground. There are models that say this works, but rather than try and peanut butter this across the city, we want to see that it actually works and make sure that what we do is functional and beneficial.
1: Chris also gave me the new uh, thought there of peanut buttering. I'd never heard that used as a verb, mm-hmm. but that basically means instead of spreading this whole idea over the city, we're gonna try it in one spot first. Hmm. That's what peanut buttering is to him. Okay. Uh, so I'd never use that. So is it the, co-
0: the smooth or crunchy?
1: Uh, it's definitely would be smooth. <laughs> okay. we, we don't want to deal with crunchy. Uh, so why Westlake Avenue? Um, it seems like a spot where there isn't a ton of freight, But uh, so I asked project manager Brian Glass about that. There's a big industrial area along the Ship Canal on both sides, you know, on the Nickerson side and then over in the the Fremont and Ballard side. In fact, I went over there yesterday and spent about a half an hour and there are a lot of pretty sizable trucks that use that area. I guess I was you know, kind of I didn't quite realize the dynamics of that. And they're all trying to get. 2i5 back and forth. And so that's what the idea is. And it's estimated that 26 to 30 large trucks use that corridor during peak hours, which are 9 a.m. to about 1 p.m. Kind of when I was over there yesterday. The city also chose Westlake Avenue because it's the route for the number 40 Metro bus serving Fremont, Ballard and up and around to Northgate, one of the busiest routes in the city. So while they're making improvements to the entire kind of transit corridor and putting in bus lanes along Westlake They thought, okay, this might be a pretty good idea and a place to try the fab lane since we're making improvements there anyway. But Glass says you won't be seeing any trucks on Westlake Ave for a while. We're doing a lot more work than just Westlake. We're doing a lot of work as part of the Route 40 in downtown Fremont and downtown Ballard. Uh, There's a lot of utility work, sidewalks, bus zones, paving. Right now, we expect the work to be done near the end of 2025 or early 2026. And even then, big rigs might not be in the lane. We want to try it with baby buses only at first and then add freight and see how it changes. We'll be doing a study for the three to month, six months period after the, the lanes go in so to see how it operates. But for Eves, even though he's not quite sure this is going to work, there really is only one goal here.
2: What we're trying to do is help both people and goods move more efficiently in our city. For this pilot project, large commercial trucks are
1: considered freight vehicles over 26,000 pounds, so they could be any of your larger box trucks to, you know, the big rigs, the 18-wheelers that I saw down there yesterday. City's going to be working with the University of Washington to collect and analyze the data to see if this works or not. If it does, you might see other fab lanes. If it doesn't, you might never hear of it again.
0: (laughs) So they're going to strengthen these lanes. I noticed that uh, a few years back, they they strengthened the uh, right lanes to handle the bigger buses because the blacktop was cracking under their weight.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's something. I mean, you see on the uh, the passes too, primarily too, in the right-hand lane. You mm-hmm. see where all the, they've made all the improvements there. Yeah, it's something that they're they're probably going to have to do considering the weight. Uh, they, it would be in the right-hand lane. Um, but, yeah, yesterday, I mean the trucks were in both lanes heading over, so that means we are going to see a reduction of travel lanes along north and southbound Westlake Ave. It'll be down to one general purpose lane and then the bus freight lanes to see how that works. So it's going to be a change for drivers as well. I'll check back with them to see if you know what they're doing in terms of trying to maybe beef up the road a little bit to make sure it can handle the extra weight but yeah it's a, it's an interesting
0: idea it's and it's fabulous. Because we'll be back with traffic in a couple of minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, it is. You got to
3: laugh at his dad jokes.
0: Yeah, I know. I understand. Somebody has to.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'll always be here.
0: One of the things that we can do best on Seattle's Morning News is alerting you to things that you never knew you had to worry about. And one of them is seafood fraud. If you're wondering what seafood fraud is, you're not alone. Somebody who knows a lot about the subject is Washington Post climate reporter Allison Chu, who wrote an article Headlined, you may not be getting the fish you paid for how to spot seafood fraud, and so he asked her what's seafood fraud
4: so seafood fraud is basically uh, an umbrella term that sort of encompasses um different uh, ways you could essentially be buying something, some type of seafood that um, it isn't what you actually think it is. And so some common examples include um, swapping out a more expensive fish for a lower value substitute, uh, mislabeling the origin of seafood, or, you know, misrepresenting the weight of the seafood and charging consumers more for less product. And this can be fairly widespread. You know, there are studies suggesting that in the United States, um, Seafood fraud can occur sort of anywhere between 16 to 75 percent of the seafood sold um, in the country.
3: That's a huge margin, 16 to 75 percent why such a (laughs) a, a wide margin there.
4: This is a number that is coming from a bunch of different studies that have been done. And what's really challenging is um, it can be hard to get an exact figure on seafood fraud, given that, first of all, it can be hard to identify and there are so many different types of forms of it. And so that can just sort of complicate um, tracking how much of it actually happens out in the market.
3: What's a dead giveaway that you might be falling into fish fraud?
4: One of the key things to, first of all, ask is what what the species of the seafood um, is that you're buying. And so if that information is not readily available, that can sort of be a warning sign for consumers. And you definitely want to ask that question. And there are a bunch of other questions that you can ask as well, such as where does it come from? Um, you know, how was it caught or farmed? Um, how much does it cost? And is it certified by a sustainability program? And all of this information Can sort of help you make a decision about whether what you're buying is is actually what it says it is
3: i'm skeptical that a supermarket clerk would know the answers to those questions are we talking about fishmongers for those questions or can i go to my local grocery store and ask the employee what species of fish is this and trust that answer
4: so generally speaking the experts that i spoke with um felt that uh, a fishmonger or someone you know working behind the counter um, uh, you're near the fresh seafood counter should know the answer to that question or should at least be able to find someone in the store who does. It's definitely possible that the person who's selling the fish might not have that information. And so there are actually online resources that someone can use. So a couple of the experts that I spoke with mentioned that um, sometimes it is um, pretty helpful just to Google the seafood that you're buying. And, you know, if there is a location on the back a location of origin on the back of the packaging, you know, doing a quick Google search to see does this type of fish actually come from that area? There are, as I mentioned earlier, the sustainability programs. So the Marine Stewardship Council and the Aquaculture Stewardship Council, both of them have online databases that are searchable as well for products.
0: Washington Post climate reporter, Alison Chu, she wrote an article headlined, you may not be getting the fish you paid for, how to spot seafood fraud. And one thing she mentions in the article is that if the packaging says the fish is from Alaska, you can usually trust that. Of course, a lot of the fish, because Alaska has very careful regulations, Now, a lot of the fish that we get here in the Northwest is from Alaska. So I asked her why that is a trustworthy origin for your seafood.
4: Basically, it's because the fisheries in Alaska are certified as sustainable, and um, there there is just a lot of work being done there to ensure that that the seafood is what it what it is. Um, And so this expert that I mentioned, she said that she felt really comfortable buying seafood that says it's from Alaska.
0: What is the most common fraudulent fish that might show up on your plate when you think you're ordering one thing? What what would they be most likely to substitute it with?
4: The experts that I spoke with um, identified Red Snapper as one of the um, types of seafood that sort of most commonly could be at risk of fraud, given that uh, it is a white fish. And um, generally speaking, it's really hard to tell white fish apart, especially when it's uh, either been processed or, you know, in a fillet form with the skin off. um, White fish tends to look kind of the same. Whereas if you're looking at something like salmon, there could be more sort of visually identifying characteristics that help you tell those types of uh, that type of fish apart.
0: What are the stakes here? Is this simply a question of being ripped off because you ordered an expensive fish and you got a cheap one? Or is there any kind of health risk involved?
4: The most immediate impact it, for the consumer, at least, is that, you know, you're, you're probably not getting the full value of what you're paying for. But there are other additional layers around the fraud issue as well, which is, you know, a lot of consumers are trying their best to make what they feel like are, you know, good, sustainable choices. And when you're motivated by that, uh, you know, it's possible that you could be buying something that you think is um, environmentally or socially sustainable when maybe that's not quite the case because, uh, you know, some fraud happened along that supply chain. Um, And then, as you mentioned, there are some potential health issues as well um, if you're eating something that, you know, isn't what you originally intended to, to buy.
3: Perhaps. I mean, I was just looking at your article, too, where it says a lot of the farmed salmon almost look like a a zebra stripe with more of the fatty layer in there, whereas wild salmon has a lot more muscle and therefore Mm -hmm. less fat. So, yeah, if you think you're eating fish and being healthy and yet you're eating the fish with more fats in it, perhaps that's where it comes into play for your health. So lots to read there. The article, you may not be getting the fish you paid for how to spot seafood fraud in The Washington Post. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
3: And it's time for your daily dose of kindness now. It's brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. I'm going to bring in a little rock and roll for this one. Yeah, that's right. Foo Fighters frontman Dave Grohl. You know I love him, and here's a reason for you to love him, too. He spent Super Bowl Sunday helping the homeless at a barbecue in Los Angeles. The winter feast is a regular commitment for the rocker. Last year, he spent 16 hours slow-smoking meats for the event and wanted to step up his game for this year. So on Super Bowl Sunday, Grohl and his friends spent 28 hours prepping, smoking, and serving about 1,800 people experiencing homelessness at the Woodlands Family Shelter in Woodland Hills, California. Speaking on the Hope the Mission YouTube channel, he had this to say.
1: We've been making barbecue a long time using the smokers that we have. Usually we feed maybe like 300 people maybe we get to 400 people but we're always trying to feed more and so we came up with a plan that we were going to stuff 100 pork butts into both of our smokers
3: In a montage from the day uh, posted on Instagram, Grill could be seen seasoning the meat before it was cooked basting the pulled pork then serving it up on sandwiches with potato salad on the side he also managed to take time to talk to some amazed fans who were pleasantly surprised to see their chef of the day.
2: What's up? <laughs> How you doing? You better big be hungry. Big fan. Big fan. made a lot of food. Yes. He stayed up for like two days making this. My
5: father's a really big fan of you too. Oh yeah? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's amazing Hi. to meet you. Nice oh meet
3: you. my goodness. I'd fall over if I ever got to meet him. And uh, his efforts were praised by fans on social media. One writing, this is why Dave Grohl is one of the greatest rock stars ever. I agree. Hope the mission, later added, We're blown away by Dave and the BackBeat Barbecue team's dedication to helping those in need. He does this often, too, not just on Super Bowl Sundays, but uh, <sighs> that's why he's my hero. Yes.
0: And now from the G and Ursula show, Ursula Roy T. of course, yesterday we heard the news that a celebration of the Kansas City Chiefs victory... Was uh, ruined uh, by gunfire. One person dead, at least 21 others injured, according to the reports this uh, morning. A lot of children. Morning. Yeah. Well, it's a family thing, right? Yeah. I mean, people bring their families. I think it was nine children wounded. And uh, you had a visceral reaction to this.
6: Well, it's it just, first of all, heartbreaking. Again, uh, many of them, like you said, were children on what should be a glorious, happy celebratory event more than a million people attended should be a core memory exactly it should be a core memory and it is marred by gunfire that erupts at the very end of of this event there were 800 officers at this parade and rally they were prepared and yet that couldn't stop what happened and I, I I was struck when I was listening to the police chief of Kansas City saying at, at the end of her first press conference she said I want to make sure y- y'all know this is not who we are. This is not who we are. Can, <laughs> can you say that you can't anymore? can't say that anymore. You can't say that. This and is America. It, exactly. And 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 the thing that I was struck by is I posted about it on our Jean Ursula show Facebook page. Now, anytime I post something or G posts something we get a lot of responses. And I just asked the simple question, what can we do? What What else can be said? What can be done? It was maybe a half hour before we got some responses. And this morning I'm looking at it and it's as if I'm trying to interpret what's happening. Are we, Are do we care? Do, are we feeling hopeless? Do we feel like it doesn't matter what we say? It doesn't think, matter what think,
0: we do? Uh, I think is accurate because everybody knows that nothing is going to pass Congress. So and, and, I, and I think that uh, people are saying, well, what's uh, – can you take away, away the guns from everybody? No, you can't. So all we have to do is wait, I guess, until we see if this guy threw up any red flags that were ignored. Right. right,
6: but then even e- even so, they
0: arrested three people. So they apparently. did arrest
6: three yeah. people. the The other thing is uh, just looking at this. So what we're at February fifteenth, right now. This is all, at least the forty eighth mass shooting in the United States this year. Uh, that is defined by four or more victims. Uh, again, this is this is a, an event where there were tons of people, but there were also tons of law enforcement. So there were a lot of good guys and good women who were armed. Mm -hmm. Um, But but one of the things I I was just looking into gun laws in the state of Missouri and there are no state licensing requirements to buy, possess or open carry firearms. I'm sorry. None. None. So it is. And there was um, uh, I I think it's still ongoing, but I I think it's considered one of those uh, Second Amendment sanctuary states. Mm -hmm. And so. Or or so, yeah. So so if something were to pass on a federal level, I, I think that is something that would be fought. Um, again, do we, I know that w- would that have helped in this case though? We
0: don't know anything about this we case don't. yet, so we can't say anything. We, we have, don't. We have no idea what might have worked or what what wouldn't work. Um, what we do know is that any the the craziest people among us have easy access to firearms. That's the one thing we know. Yes. But Were these people crazy? Was it deliberate? Oh, we don't know.
6: And that's the sad thing. I mean, so my question to all of you, too, is, OK, if we don't care or we're just throwing our arms up and saying, well, there's just nothing we can do, well, are we be, safe? Are we ready safe to tackle anymore? the guy
0: and perform CPR? That's what we can oh, do. Oh, oh, by the way. Be ready to tackle the guy. There Some was people did. who yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. They
6: stepped in. And, and uh, yeah. so that's where my brain goes every time. It's like, well, what was what, what were the positives in this?
3: I don't want to have to be a hero just because I live in America. I don't want to have to know how to save a life, how to tackle a gunman, how to protect my children, how to look for exits, how to feel safe in a public place. I don't want these lessons. I don't want to live this way. I agree.
6: But what do we do? And so I, I ask myself, what can I do differently? Because I can't look at other people to do something differently. What can I do differently? Does that mean I don't go to a parade now? Yeah.
3: I send my kid to a public school every day. And I go... I make sure I say I love you because I don't know, you know, like that's, oh. that's the reality of being a parent today is going, what's the safety measures? Is this the last time I get to say I love you or goodbye to my kids? It's sad. I hate it. It is sad. I'm in a grocery store and, and, a, and something drops off the shelf yeah. and I, you know, I don't know if that's the secondary PTSD or if this is how all of Americans live. When you hear a loud bang, do you think gunfire or do you think, oh, somebody dropped something off the shelf. It's fine. No.
6: Okay, that's we can't be okay with this. Nope, don't want to
3: be. Thank you for so asking those questions, Ursula. That'll come
6: up on the show today, yes, I guess. Yes, it huh? will. Yeah, okay.
0: Jen Ursula at 9 o'clock on Cairo News Radio. And that is Mickey time. We have new numbers. It's always exciting when you get new numbers. <laughs>
3: it is, right? Especially when they show up on your paycheck.
0: Yeah, well, this is not that kind of oh. Different
3: kind of numbers, Colleen. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. These are numbers revealing that Seattle is the top city Uh, for one particular generation and which one is it mickey
7: well i'm going to tell you right now dave take a listen gen x is out and millennials are in this old house analyst taylor candeloro breaks down the census bureau data she says gen xers in their 40s were the largest group to leave seattle in 2022 while a bunch of 30 somethings moved in
8: We can't confirm for sure, based on the data available, why exactly Seattle, but we do know that millennials are moving primarily for housing-related reasons.
7: So, why the Emerald City?
8: Seattle presents probably a pretty solid option for folks who want that dense population feel, but then you want to be able to get outside when you want to. Nashville came
7: in number two for the millennial migration. San Antonio, number three, mostly because it's Austin's sister city. Candeloro explains why.
8: Austin and Nashville specifically have strong like arts and music culture going. There's a lot to do. Um, there's nightlife, but also tons of things to do during the day. And um, Austin specifically is a big tech hub.
7: Just like the Jet City. But back to those 40-somethings, where'd they go?
8: The city that we saw have the biggest influx of Gen X or whose population influx was mostly Gen X, they were the primary uh, mover, was Henderson, Nevada. Why Henderson? Forbes is telling me that Nevada chooses not to levy any income taxes at the state level. So that might be part of it.
7: That and warmer weather. Candeloro says the next round of numbers on who's moving
8: where will be interesting. Once we have data for 2023, we might see those patterns change. Um, It might have been like a lot of optimism that pushed people to these big urban hubs where there's a lot of tech opportunity.
7: She says labor market changes appear to be the driving force in who lives where. Mickey Gomez, Cairo News Radio.
8: That was you on that
0: report. Yeah, that was. But oh, you amazing. think it was because you're right there, and I oh yeah. Anyway, I thought we would consult with uh, professional millennial David Burbank. Is this uh, what happens mm-hmm. when
3: you get old? Because I'm a millennial, and now you've dubbed him the millennial of the group. Well, he's the younger millennial I'm the young though.
6: Millennial. He's like oh, the so young I got the millennial. High. Yeah, close to Gen Z. He's, he's the,
3: the thirty-som millennial now. I oh, they wow. will call
6: it, I think, a geriatric millennial.
3: <gasps> <gasps> okay, Whoa. David. Okay. Wow. I, oh, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Oh, so wait, hang way. Way.
0: Time out, time out. I think we call it a wiser millennial.
6: <laughs> okay, <yeah>, I do <laughs> okay. have the gray hair. A seasoned millennial. Okay, sorry, I had so to interrupt.
0: David, what's, what's Seattle's mm-hmm. secret for your generation?
6: I don't know. That's what's odd about this data is mm-hmm. if I were asking any of my millennial friends here they're all, and many of them have already moved away. They're all saying it's way, way too expensive here. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, they talked about the outdoors and and loving that and also loving the urban feel. Mm -hmm. Those are all great things, but when you can't pay for rent. That's a huge right. problem.
3: That's why and I think this is an older millennial trend, right. not it, a younger millennial trend. Right. And, so it be, and it might
7: be. And it might be. And the 2023 census data uh-huh. should show yeah. that what we're experiencing right now, these millennials going, oh, what did I do? Right. (laughs) Because they and and that's what kind of happened to us, even though I'm Gen X and I moved here during uh, 2021, right before it turned 2022. And luckily, we can afford to live here, even though it's it's pricey. Mm -hmm. It's not as pricey as New York City. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, my friend lives in a two two and she pays a two 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 bedroom, two bath. Okay, Nineteen hundred a month.
6: Two-two. Where is this at? I West, would like to...
7: West Seattle. And she's got a view of Alki Beach. Whoa. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Very nice. And then, you know, you look at me, and then I'm living in the suburbs, and I've got a, a mortgage. But if you compare it to my friends in New York City living in a 2-2, they're paying five $6,000 a month no. in rent. New York yeah.
0: City is yeah, not. Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
7: But here's something else. Gen Z. Gen Z is now old enough, and they're uh, anywhere between 12 and 25, 26. They're moving... Uh, a lot of the older Gen Zs are in college now, and they're going to places like D.C. and Chicago, hmm. and. Yeah, and boomers are also leaving the Seattle area because they want to be able to retire in a warmer climate. Arizona. And yeah, they're yeah. going to Arizona, Oops. they're going to Florida, they're <laughs> going to crazy. Texas. Yeah, and some this of these gonna states. Be,
0: they're going to run out of water down there, and they're going to wish they did there. And place. think about
7: right. the tarantulas.
3: No, thank <laughs> you. Yeah, the and
7: the roaches. Oh, God yeah, damn Yeah, and ocean. the hurricanes and the southern crazy. warming. And no, they need to stay. You. Just stay here. Just stay
3: here. Right. Mm. But make, you know, get your houses available. Move to a condo and, and make homes available to the younger generation for Oh, David. great. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. David's like, please give me a home. This this brings up, I I, I think there should be an adopt a grandchild program where if oh. you are a childless boomer in a house, a find, you know, it could be like a matchmaking service where the, you will take care of them in their old age just as a child would, but then you get the house. That's a fantastic wow, idea. Thank that you. Is a great we're idea. creating. I think it comes because I never had a grandparent. <laughs> yeah, so
7: we're doing that. No, we're doing that in, in our garage, actually. It's big enough and we're having a contractor come in and we're making it a
0: small one one you're putting your parents in the garage and
7: then we're going to rent it out oh i see oh to younger yeah (laughs) Yeah. i love it yeah we're going to rent it out to some nurses doctors who move into the area and only need to be here for a couple of months oh Oh, got it because there's a hospital right down the street can
0: you do that can you say only doctors allowed well we put it on a certain
7: website and rent it and it and yeah Okay. There you go. Interesting. We won't that discriminate. It. Only rich people
3: get to live in our garage. <laughs> oh, stop <laughs> yeah, <that's> it. Right. <laughs> stop. At least we know rent will get paid. Just is it, kidding. Is it an I'm insulated
7: garage?
0: Do you have insulation in your garage?
7: We're going to insulate it. I think he's talking to you, Colleen, though. Yeah, oh,
0: am. me?
3: Yeah. Not yet, but I will. I knew it. Yeah. Right, well, I don't. I know. My garage is not fancy. Real,
0: real garages don't have insulation, right, Chris? <laughs> yeah. That is correct. Oh, and they geez. have stuff all over the place because <laughs> that's where you throw everything. <laughs> that's right
8: looking for
6: an early hint of spring well you can find it currently at the seattle convention center kyra news radio's paul holden explains
2: spring is coming early this year well if you trust the knowledge and talents of puxatani phil but the season is in full bloom this week at the northwest flower and garden festival
5: it is spring two months early and it is full of fragrance and flowers and tons of information. It's entertainment on an epic scale, but also you can actually get practical advice. There's so many
2: experts under one roof. The theme, of course, is spring and is currently underway at the Seattle Convention Center. Attendees will be able to see some incredible garden displays, over 20 of them, and you will not be disappointed. I got to take a tour led by Ann Bonetti, a local gardening expert. There's lots to think about when planning a garden and one small step could lead to a big disaster. Vanetti tells me the foundation to a good garden is knowledge.
5: Well, the research is important because if you fail, you will not want to keep gardening so we really encourage people to get a little bit of knowledge just so that they know the basics and then their their plant will thrive and then they'll be growing into more of a gardener
2: the show isn't just for homeowners or those lucky enough to have space for a big garden
5: on the balcony the sky bridge we call it that it's connecting where the show gardens are to where the vendors are The entire sky bridge is full of tiny balcony gardens. So you can if you have just a tiny little balcony, you have ideas of how to style the balcony, what to grow on the balcony, beautiful plants for the balcony. And then we have house plant displays and what to grow indoors. And I think there's three of our show gardens that actually have either a greenhouse or a building that has indoor plants in it. Plus dirt cheap ideas because you don't even need to buy a ticket. To get educated on saturday they're going to have experts at the convention center in the lobby giving free seminars to people on like how to grow hydrangeas how to grow succulents so people could just come in and be educated and not even buy a ticket to the show that's kind of new this year i thought that's kind of cool
2: there will also be plenty of resources if you're looking to make your garden more native and help support the wildlife around your home as well as plants that can handle the climate well, one of the biggest sponsors uh, of our show is called
5: Cascade Water District, and so they are helping us teach the people of the Puget Sound area how to have cleaner water, use less chemicals, how to recycle their water, um, and so that's why you see uh, water features that are recycling water, but they're cleaning the water before it, it gets recycled, uh, slow-moving water because that's what our pollinators need, um, you know, the, the butterflies, the bees, we have all sorts of different insects that are pollinators, not just the bumblebee that you think of and also drought resistant plants uh, there's a lot of use of native plants especially this year I see a lot of huckleberries mahonia things that don't need a lot of extra water so the whole show is really devoted to really having um, more of a Holistic attitude towards gardening
2: and for those looking to get their hands dirty and prep their gardens right this second If you have a PG
5: hydrangea hydrangea paniculata prune it now you'll have more flowers Um, Same if you have an Annabelle type of hydrangea, but other than pruning it has been warm the last couple weeks People can rake and then mow their lawn It's okay to mow the lawn And I think that raking is important because of all the wind get those big branches off the grass first go to the nurseries Now because you'll see at this show, we have so many plants with color. We have hellebores with color. There's the native Mahonias or Oregon grape. There's the native huckleberries, uh, The native a uh, lot of our native ferns. So these gardens are full of native plants and a lot of color. But our nurseries are also full of things in bloom right now.
2: The 2024 Northwest Flower and Garden Festival runs today through Sunday. Paul Holden, Cairo News Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross.
3: And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930.
0: And if you subscribe, you'll never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.